everyone, and welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer for FootballOutsiders.com, part of Edge Sports. I have one of my Football Outsiders teammates, Derek Klassen, joining me today to talk about the Week 10 waiver wire options. Derek is a film analyst for the site and I think has some really good perspective on some players that the stats haven't quite led me down the right path um, in recent weeks. So we'll get to him in a minute. But first, I want to share with you an exclusive offer from Football Outsiders. We're the innovators of modern football analytics with proprietary metrics you know and love, DVOA and DYAR. They're used by teams, and they're great tools for fantasy players as well. So get the most out of your fantasy teams and DFS lineups with an FO Plus package. You can become an outsider today with promo code FANTASY25. That'll save you 25% off site-wide. That's code FANTASY25, which saves you 25% off site-wide on all of Football Outsiders' tools and statistics. Okay, let's get to that interview with Derek. Okay, joining me on the line today is Derek Klassen, film analyst and writer for Football Outsiders. Derek, great to have you back on the show. How have the last few weeks treated you since uh, you last made your appearance? Uh, pretty good, I'd say. I think I remember uh, touting Justin Herbert as a pickup, yep. and that has worked out quite well. So Looking uh, very strong from a fantasy perspective. <laughs> exactly. So hit, hitting on at least one of my three there feels good. Well, it's great. And I think... I think we really learned last time how valuable a film perspective can be for fantasy, in particular in this year where it seems like so many rookies are having unexpectedly quick impacts from a fantasy perspective. And this week, I think we have a couple of rookies to discuss as well. But there are also a few veterans who I would say maybe their statistics and even their advanced statistics aren't totally agreeing with what we've seen with their playing time so far this season. So I'm eager to get your perspective. But I'll just mention up front that this is the game that we play every Tuesday uh, with our guests on the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast, where we're going to go through each of our three favorite waiver recommendations for week 10. Not necessarily the best recommendations, but just players that we find particularly interesting for the discussion. And as the guest, Eric, why don't you lead us off with somebody you find interesting heading into week 10? Yeah, so I'll start with uh, a running back this week. I don't think I had any running backs the last time, but um, Denver's Philip Lindsay. I think I think I wrote for the Football Outsiders Almanac heading into the season that like Philip Lindsay is just straight up a better running back than Melvin Gordon, <laughs> and I was kind of surprised that they that Denver like shelled out the money to pay Gordon. Like Gordon is maybe a little bit more consistent in the passing game. And maybe that's why he continues to get snaps over Lindsay. But if you just look at what they do in the running game, I think Lindsay is not only as, you know, efficient on a down to down basis, just getting successful runs as Melvin Gordon is, but I think he's a lot more explosive. And I think that that's been true for as long as he's been there. So I think with Gordon kind of struggling as of late and like Lindsay kind of being pretty removed from some of the injuries he had early on, at least, you know, I mean, he got hurt again a a little bit in week eight, but I think he's been when when it's my turn, but keep, keep on going. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I just think like if, if he can stay a little bit healthier from, you know, what he was in like week seven and eight, that I think he's just straight up the better running back. And even if he's getting a few less carries than Gordon in a particular game, I think he's just so much better that he's pretty much always going to at least match Gordon in production, if not just straight up outpace him. For sure. The fact that you were touting Lindsay in the preseason, and I wrote an article about how I thought Gordon was going to have the better fantasy season, that probably tells you all you need to know about our our relative expertises or my lack thereof in this case, uh, because I'm totally with you now. I totally see Lindsay as the better player. I guess it maybe just took me to see both of these players playing in the same offense. I knew that Lindsay was more explosive. I mean, we knew from his, his first year in the league how fast he is as a player. 
kind of made it a surprise that he went undrafted in the first place. And so, like, I'm not shocked to see that he has a 5.9 average yards per carry average this season, whereas Gordon is much lower at 4.1. But I actually am a little surprised to see how much more consistent he's be has been at avoiding negative plays. Uh, Lindsay has a 52.8% success rate, very good, while Gordon has fallen to 39.6%, actually the worst among the 52 players with 50 or more carries this season. It's not all his fault. There are offensive line issues and other offensive issues that the Broncos are dealing with, but Lindsay's just been so much better than Gordon. I think it's only a matter of time before he starts seeing more and more work. The injuries, I think, have probably been the deterrent so far. Obviously, Lindsay missed time earlier in the year with the, with the toe injury, but just even talking about since he's been back, Lindsey set a, a season high with 63% of the offensive snaps played in week six, his first game back from the injury. But then he missed time after suffering an apparent concussion in week seven. I'm not sure if I, if I ever confirmed if it was one. He also suffered a foot injury in week eight. And while he hasn't actually missed any time from that over the last few weeks, I think that might have contributed to his offensive snap share falling a little bit below Gordon. So I think it could be any time now when, when Lindsay ends up having uh, the higher uh, amount of touches. And I'll also point out, too, that we may have forgotten this, but Gordon is still facing potential NFL suspension for the DUI that he had. Uh, that actually, that court case is scheduled to happen this Friday, and I think that's what the NFL is waiting for before it levies out a potential three-game suspension. So there's a lot of reasons to, to advocate for Lindsay at this point, but I think the number one is the fact that I just think he's a better player than Gordon, and that's going to win out sooner or later before the fantasy playoffs. Right, and I think, I think really the last thing I'll say on that is like, the idea behind signing Gordon was that he was supposed to be this guy who had a really high success rate. You know, yes. even in uh, even with the charges, he always had really high success rates, even if his like yards per carry and like explosive gains were low. He was just a guy who always got you exactly what you needed. But the fact that he's not even been that in Denver, I think, is uh, a pretty big indictment on on how, how poorly he's playing relative to Lindsay right now. Uh, I totally agree, Derek. Okay, I think that probably covers it. So let me move on to my first choice of a waiver player for Week 10. This one's probably a little bit simpler. It's Duke Johnson of the Houston Texans. Straight up, this is mostly just a reaction to the fact that David Johnson, the normal starter for the Texans, suffered an apparent concussion himself in Week 9. Concussions often lead a back to miss a week. Um, and so you would expect that could potentially happen to David Johnson and promote Duke Johnson to the lead back for the team for one week. Uh, with Johnson, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to call him Duke because the, the whole David versus Duke thing gets really confusing. But with Duke, he's kind of been put in a hole as a receiving back that I think his skill set may be a little bit better than that reputation would suggest. Uh, he actually had 11.2%, 15.7%, and 7.2% rushing DVOA his last three years in Cleveland. It was a little bit lower last year, negative 2.0% in Houston in his first season. But the starter, Chris Carson, really wasn't that much better at 1.9%. So I think that he's probably capable of carrying the ball a little bit more than he's carried so far. He also was five foot nine and 210 pounds, a little bit bigger than you would typically find from a receiving back of the, say, the James White mold of things. It's actually good for a 31 BMI. That's the same size as Josh Jacobs. He's actually the exact same height and weight as Chase Edmonds, who we've seen substitute pretty effectively for the Cardinals. He had, I think, 29 touches in a spot start last season. He had 28 touches in a spot start this season, Edmonds did. And I think Johnson can kind of do that if David ends up missing any time here. Duke had 20 touches in substitute for, for David, uh, who left last game in the second quarter. 
So I think it's a nice little plug and play option for you this week. And given that David Johnson has had a little bit of a history of injuries himself, he's actually one of the players that, that Chase Edmonds substituted for last year as well. Um, I think that Duke may even have upside for the rest of the season, given the the fragility of David Johnson's place as the Texans' number one back. Uh, do you see any of that uh, in your mind? Yeah, I think I agree. I mean, Duke has not been a particularly good runner this season, but also he's only taken like 18 carries, so the sample size is like yeah, very small, pretty small. Like it could ju- it could just be that it's like a, just a random string of bad runs, and it's not like David Johnson has been particularly effective either. He has one of the lowest success rates in the league, and his uh, his DVOA is not particularly impressive either. So I think you know, kind of like you mentioned, if Duke has to like kind of take on more of a full-time role and he is kind of instilled as the starting running back. I think it's entirely possible that he kind of picks up back up, you know, his ability to run the ball a little bit better in addition to what we obviously know that he can do in the passing game. Yeah, for sure. Okay, Derek, hit us with your second choice of a possible waiver ad for week 10. Okay. My other one is, uh, I'm going to go with Michael Pittman, who is a rookie wide receiver for the Colts. Um, the Colts, They've had some wide receiver issues this year. Obviously, Tua Hilton is fantastic, but with some of the injuries that they've had, um, particularly to um, Paris Campbell, who was really supposed to be their big playmaker this year, like not having him in the lineup has been huge. So they've really needed somebody to step up. And early in the year, it looked like it was going to be Pittman. In weeks two and three, he took 10 targets, I think caught seven passes for like 60 or so yards, which is nothing crazy, but he looked like he was going to be this nice possession guy for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he got hurt, and he's finally come back, and he looked great last week against um, against Baltimore. I mean, the Colts' offense didn't really as a whole, but he caught four passes for 56 yards, and I think that's more or less the kind of game you can expect from him where he's going to be this kind of intermediate possession guy um, for the Colts' offense, which I think is really what they need right now because they have – a lot of guys who can get work in the, in the quick game between their tight ends and running backs. And then they obviously have T.Y. Hilton down the field. And I think Pittman, um, who was really impressive at USC during his college days, um, I think can kind of step into that role as their intermediate guy. I sort of see the same thing, Derek. Um, it's If you look just at their offensive snap percentages, you can get a little bit confused about which guy is the lead guy. He was close to the team lead with an 87% snap percentage last week. But so, but Marcus Johnson was actually the team leader at 88%, and even Zach Pascal was in there at 60%. So a little bit of a timeshare, even with some of the normal guys like Hilton and Campbell out. But I think if you look around the injury, you can sort of see the trends that suggest that, that Pittman is going to be the player that is going to lead that pack in receiving work. He had six targets in week two and then seven targets this last week in week nine um, and gave him his peak percentage of, of snap play at 92% and 87% those two weeks, working around that calf injury that he suffered in week three. So I, I think that it's things are trending positively. It's just been a little bit difficult to see because the calf injury has kind of thrown him off the schedule. Uh, and hopefully the Colts will have a little bit easier time when they're not facing some of the premier defenses like the Baltimores of the world. For sure. And it might just take him a little bit of time to fully get invested into the offense, because like, I think the thing with Pascal getting as many snaps as he does is Pascal's actually a pretty good blocker and he's really good in the underneath area. And so I think Frank Reich does a really good job of making that particular player work in their offense where um, Pittman isn't necessarily that guy, which isn't really an indictment. That's just not the style of player he is. So it might take the offense a little bit of time for them to fully figure out what they want to do with Pittman. But I think he's so talented and he's proven that he can be this intermediate guy that it's going to come along eventually. 
Okay, cool. Well, we're gonna circle back to the Colts in a little bit, but before before that, I wanna hit you with my second choice for a waiver ad for the week, and that's Jerry Judy, another rookie receiver, this one for the Broncos. Uh, Judy's had his own sort of disrupted uh, rookie season. It's not because of an injury that he suffered. It's actually because his quarterback, Drew Locke, suffered a shoulder injury earlier in the year. But since Locke returned to the lineup in week six, Judy has jumped up to a 22.8% target share. That's 21st highest among wide receivers. And I think probably even more important than that, he has 2.12 opportunity adjusted receiving touchdowns in that window, ninth highest among receivers and just ahead of Mike Williams. So, like, I kind of wanted to compare Judy to Williams, um, but the sizes don't suggest that that's entirely accurate. Judy is six foot one and 193 pounds, while Williams is six four and 220. Judy obviously gets compared to Julio Jones as well because of the college ties, but Jones is much bigger too at six foot three and 220 pounds. I just think Judy, it's, he's tall enough and he's just an incredible athlete that I think he really can continue to be a big red zone target, even though the Broncos have other players that are tall and big on the roster. Uh, Albert O, the, the tight end, has kind of been involved a little bit more of late as an end zone threat. Uh, Noah Fant, obviously a big one too, although he suffered an injury, maybe re-injured his ankle in week nine. So we'll kind of have to see how that plays out. But I think Judy is getting enough of a work and he's enough of a red zone threat that he can, can, he can I guess, join the list of the however many receivers there are this season, the rookie receivers that are fantasy relevant. Um, I think he has a real potential here to help you over the second half of the seasons. Oh, I absolutely agree. And if nothing else, it seems like Drew Locke just absolutely loves throwing to Jerry Judy. Um, which that alone just means he's going to get enough opportunity for him to, you know, brute force uh, into some decent fantasy points. But I think you're right on him being a red zone threat. He may not be the biggest guy, but he's plenty big enough. And I think why he wins so much is like just in, in the short area, like especially getting out of his release and getting in and out of breaks, like he is just unbelievably fast. Like the way that he can just cut on a dime in and out of breaks is, it's almost like Odell Beckham. Like, I don't I don't know if he's ever going to be quite that good, but just the way that it looks really feels a lot like Odell Beckham. And so um, I think Judy has been, yeah, absolutely fantastic. You know, basically so long as Locke has been in the lineup to throw to him. And Judy and CeeDee Lamb, I'm almost positive, were one and two in some order in Football Outsiders Playmaker score mm-hmm. among this really talented class. So I think that kind of points to the same, the athleticism, the speed, the leaping ability. I think he has the, the total package there, even if he's not quite the like monster of a huge human being that like your Mike Williams is, for instance. Uh, Derek, I think we may have buried the lead because this is really the player that I wanted you to talk about the most today, but I'll let you introduce it as your third waiver option for week uh, 10. Yeah, we're going back to the Colts. Um, this one is, you know, I wrote about the Colts for the film room um, this pack, past week and kind of how they like to use their running backs in the passing game. And Jordan Wilkins is actually the one guy they don't use that often. Um, but I think he's a guy that they have shown that they can split out every now and then, kind of the same way they do with Naheem Hines. He's kind of like Jordan Wilkins is really their in-between guy, whereas like Hines is very clearly their guy who they don't want getting that many carries, but he's going to be split out as a receiver all the time. Whereas Jonathan Taylor is obviously more of the true running back and any receptions he gets are basically just straight up out of the backfield. Whereas yeah. Wilkins, I think kind of walks the line for them and kind of lets them get into a lot of two back sets if they really want to. Um, he kind of lets them hide a little bit more stuff, especially out of gun. If they, you know, if they want to do some of this more stuff uh, where they're trying to hide their back and, you know, not be like, Oh, we have Jonathan Taylor on the field. We're running power. I think Wilkins can, kind of do a little bit of everything for them. And I think Reich is slowly kind of trending toward liking Wilkins in that role a little bit, especially with Jonathan Taylor not being nearly as impressive as I think a lot of people were hoping he would be this year. 
Yeah, so that's kind of been the focal point of me trying to figure this out the last couple of weeks. Taylor, by his statistics, has not performed particularly well. Just a 3.9 average yards per carry average this season, just a 42.5% success rate. That's the eighth lowest of those 52 backs that I mentioned earlier with 50 or more carries this season. So not very good. But I'll point out, too, that the Colts haven't exactly been an amazing run-blocking team so far this season. They have 3.91 adjusted line yards. That's the fifth lowest in the league. And Wilkins, playing behind that same line, just 3.7 yards per attempt and a 45% success rate. So not really differentiating himself there. So I kind of wonder, Derek, are you like are you seeing anything with Taylor that suggests that maybe he's not living up to the billing as a player that I know with some of the Football Outsiders metrics, at least from a running perspective, he looked like one of the sort of guys in a, in a over the last few years from a running perspective. Yeah, I mean, I think what's weird with Taylor is that obviously coming from the Wisconsin offense, they they run so much like pro style running concepts where it's not you're just, you know, you're not Oregon where you're just running inside zone or like off of zone read all the time. They were doing a lot of pulling concepts. They were doing a lot of like legitimate outside zone, um, you know, split zone, like wham, like doing basically everything that you can imagine for an NFL running playbook. And what's weird is that the Colts offense under Frank Reich is very much like that, where they have this really diverse running game. Um, and in previous seasons, at least had a very good offensive line that could really pull effectively. But one, I don't think the offensive line, basically everybody outside of Quentin Nelson is just not performing. I think the way people wanted them to. Yeah. Um, and also Taylor, for whatever reason, is just not seeing the field. You know, he's not like seeing through the blocks, I think as well as people we're hoping he would, especially, you know, coming out of Wisconsin. I think that was one of his big things was like he could very well see how he was supposed to manipulate the second level when he was getting through the line of scrimmage. But for whatever reason, the game just feels like it's way too fast for him right now. And hopefully that's something that settles down by the end of the year. Maybe he just needs to get a few more reps. But I don't know. It's honestly really troubling to to try to figure out why he's he's struggling because he's seen all of these concepts before. Yeah. It's really interesting. The the other two sort of aspects of this that I kind of want to get your thoughts on are one, Taylor does seem to be dealing with an ankle injury. Like Reich has been a little bit coy about how much of a deal it's been. He's obviously been playing through it, but I'm wondering if maybe that's been a contributor because it has aligned with the last two weeks when Wilkin has been getting a little bit more work. And I guess the one that I want to ask you about is Taylor had a bit of a reputation as a fumbler. Um, from his college days at Wisconsin, he had 18 fumbles over three seasons at Wisconsin. And I kind of want to write that off because he also had just a ridiculous number of carries, almost a thousand carries in those seasons. But I think even by rate, he was one of the class leaders in fumbles. And he had a critical fumble in this game on Sunday that the Ravens were able to return for a touchdown to even the game. And whether or not you believe in momentum or not, the Ravens kind of took control of things from there. So do you th- do you see the fumbling as either a problem for Taylor down the line or maybe as just sort of a one-game blip? Could that be an explanation why the team went with Wilkins a little bit more this week? I would probably lean towards it being a blip, at least from what we've seen um, from him in the NFL. I think that's his only fumble of the year. That's um, true, yes. Pretty unfortunate that, one, that they lost it, and two, that it was in such like just a like dramatic point in the game for them. Yeah. Um, but I also think it's fair to assume that like a coach is going to take a rookie like that who fumbles in a big spot and kind of just doghouse him. And I don't know if that necessarily means that like Taylor is just going to be completely ripped off the field. Um, But I think, especially with the ankle injury that you mentioned where, you know, they're not really letting us know exactly how bad it's hurting him Um, between that, him not having been that effective at all really this year. 
um, aside from the Minnesota game. And then um, that big fumble, I think like it's entirely possible. We see his snaps cut back a little bit, maybe in favor of Wilkins, because like I mentioned, Wilkins is, I think, the better runner than Hines right now. Yeah. So, I mean, you can probably tell from my tone that I, I'm not fully endorsing Wilkins necessarily, but I think it's clear that with the last two weeks, how much work he's gotten, you have to just pick him up, even mm-hmm. if he's going to be on your bench for a couple of weeks, just to see how this plays out. And then finally, here's my last player for a week 10 um, pickup. This is a, probably a PPR only option for you and maybe a deeper league option, but I think it's worth pointing out JD McKissick. So he didn't carry the ball very much last week, three carries for 17 yards and basically never carries it much but had just an unbelievable amount of receiving work, nine catches for 65 yards on 14 targets that led the Washington football team by six, even compared to their other receivers. And I mean, I've been pretty impressed by Antonio Gibson's versatility and rushing so far as a rookie this season, given how little he touched the ball in college. He's definitely overachieved my expectations, but the, the transition to Alex Smith, at quarterback and Kyle Allen, broke his ankle, among other things with his ankle, is going to be out for the rest of the season, unfortunately. Uh, Smith just has a history of throwing the ball to his running backs a ton. Like I know you probably know he has a reputation as a shallow target guy, but over the last two years, since the start of 2018, the fourth highest rate of his passes to running backs of the 46 quarterbacks of 300 or more pass attempts um, Allen has, has been pretty high this season too in a limited sample, but Haskins was just at 17.1% through his bulk of the season compared to 24.7% for Alex Smith over the last few seasons. So I think it's very possible that that quarterback transition will actually lead to more work for JD McKissick. Um, and it's not just a situation where the team has to be trailing. I think that's probably going to be just a noted strategy of Smith, who is maybe a more conservative player and probably justifiably so given some of the team's other issues and given his own, uh, unfortunate injury track record. What do you think about that, Derek? Yeah, I agree again. And I think this is very clearly not a case of McKissick being a particularly good player. I think it's just mm-hmm. that one, like you mentioned, like I think, uh, the circumstances with Smith kind of stepping in at quarterback is perfect for a player like him. Yeah. Um, and also like the rest of that offense just isn't, particularly talented and if, like at some point somebody has to get these these touches right and McKissick um I think is you know has enough versatility they a lot of those touches are going to kind of be funneled into him so um like I said I don't think he's a particularly great player and he might not do anything super flashy but someone's got to get these touches and it's probably going to be him absolutely okay that's going to wrap up this Tuesday episode of the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast Derek thanks so much again for joining why don't you let everybody know where they can read and, and watch all of your great work yeah thanks for having me on again um, you can find me on Twitter at QB class QBAL QBLA wait there's a, there's a K in there I'm pretty sure. <laughs> it's my own name I don't know why I'm getting that so so <laughs> Um, and then you guys can obviously read me at football outsiders. I think anybody listening knows that. Um, I also do some Vikings work over at zone coverage and some, uh, college football and NFL draft stuff over at Roto world. Well, perfect, Derek. Uh, we'll look forward to having you on again in the future and thanks so much for listening, everybody. Uh, please subscribe, rate and review us on your favorite co- podcast platforms and then swing back next or this Friday to hear all of our DFS thoughts for week 10. Thanks so much. And I'll talk to you then. Mm-hmm.